welcome to Different from the Other Kids, a weekly podcast for parents of challenging children with your host, Angela Sunis, author of the Amazon best-selling book, Different from the Other Kids. Each week, Angela interviews an individual or professional within the mental health community. Okay, everybody, welcome back to Different from the Other Kids. I am Angela. I am your cruise director here today. I am sitting with a friend of mine. His name is William Michael Forbes. You can find him at WilliamMichaelForbesCoaching.com. He actually wrote a book. When was that, William? It was published two years ago. Published two years ago called How to Kill Suicide with Reason to Live. He is a life coach. He focuses on self-healing. He focuses on evolution of the soul. He focuses on a mind-body connection. He focuses generally on how to heal your life. Welcome, William. I really appreciate you coming by. I happen to be a fellow boater with William here in the harbor in Toronto, and we had different conversations, very disjointed, never a proper one, but I I feel this great energy that always comes from William and his, his lovely wife as well, who I've actually had a probably more conversation with yes. than, than you. Uh, she's fantastic, and I'm very happy to have you here. Thank you so much, William, for coming. Yeah, you're welcome, Andrew. Thank you for having me. I'm really grateful you brought me into this, and um, I, I'm really glad we've had a chance to have this conversation. It's been long overdue. We've had, like you said, little snippets, and so yes. it should be very fun. Yes, yep. uh, absolutely. Okay, so tell me a little bit, first of all, if you wouldn't mind, William, about your work with personal coaching. Let's start there. Well, my work with personal coaching started many, many years ago, 25 years ago, where I actually had a spiritual experience that let me recognize my interconnectedness to all other people. And I began to create a way of sharing that awareness with others so they could start to love and appreciate themselves and not see themselves as separate from others. Because it's when, when we tend to see ourselves that we're separate from somebody that we start to feel a little disconnected inside. Mm-hmm. And connection. So it's all about connection. So my coaching work is focused predominantly on building stronger connection and greater unity within the individual so they can have that with the world around them. Okay. I was on your website today, so uh, as I understand it, anybody can go on to your site and actually book um, a complimentary half hour. Is that correct? To get started? Is that the that, way that goes? That is correct. It's actually a, it's a free 30 to 45 minute session. Great. And we can break down exactly what the person wants to accomplish and achieve, whether it's physical health, mental health, spiritual health, new job, career transition, relationship transitions whatever it is that they need to alter or adjust in their life to reach a place of fulfillment. We can establish a framework for that in that 45 minutes. So it's pretty amazing. Okay, cool. Okay, one of the things that was in your website, William, that I have come to believe is imperative that anybody dealing with any kind of mental anguish uh, experiences, which is identifying the limiting core beliefs of where they run in their head, mm-hmm. the chatter, etc. So what I wanted to ask you is, can you give people ideas of what a core limiting belief might mean? To some people, they were not even going to understand what it means. Okay. A core limiting belief to some people might mean, I can't do anything right. And so a lot of their behavior, because of that core belief system, stops them from taking risks and taking chances and trying new things or exploring different options and different opportunities. And when you can alter that core belief to the, the opposite of, I can do anything I put my mind to, Mm-hmm. all of a sudden you can shift that core belief. And I think the difficulty a lot of people have in, in making that shift is they get caught up in the idea that the thoughts in their mind are who they are. And that connection to the thoughts are you makes, can be very problematic because most of the thoughts that people have are what they've acquired from their upbringing through their five physical senses. Mm-hmm. The minute a person starts to distinguish between, oh, this thought in my head about I'm not good enough is just a thought in my head. It's not really who I am. I can observe that thought. Mm-hmm. And then 
giving them strategies for being able to change that thought, to change their focus from that thought to something better, that I am good enough, and then giving them activities and behaviors that can engage in that support that belief, just as the core belief I'm not good enough has activities, focuses, and behaviors that support it too. Mm -hmm. So all behavior has very specific thoughts behind them, and you change the thoughts behind a behavior, the behavior changes. Mm -hmm. And so that's my focus on core beliefs. So do you, how would you walk me through it as just a, a general, like do you, are you asking me questions when you're trying to figure out what my core belief is that's standing in the way of me being my, call it my best self, I guess? Well, the actual first process is actually engaging the person in a free, free period of time. So we establish exactly what it is you want to alter or change in your life. You, if you want to change your physical health, that's going to determine the focus we have. If you're going to change your financial life, that's going to determine another focus as well. If you're looking at altering your relationship or any area of your life, that's going to de determine what it is we actually work on together, the process I'm going to use. An example might be I had a, a lady who's struggling with the death of her husband, and she's got two young children, and she's trying to figure out what, what to do. And, and so the focus then becomes is, well, what, what, how do you want the children to be experiencing life? How do you want to be experiencing life? And she says, well, I want to be happy. I want to, I want to feel this pain anymore. Mm -hmm. So I'll teach her strategies for not focusing on the pain, but focusing, focusing on possibility. Mm -hmm. And then opening up the reality that more relationship is what she's seeking for. A deeper, meaningful relationship is what's needed now. Mm -hmm. When we lose somebody, what people tend to do is, I've lost them. Mm -hmm. Rather than, it's reminding me that I have a deep need for connection to people. Mm -hmm. And so it is important to engage others in that context. So mm -hmm. it depends on what the situation is for people. It, 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 different things for different things. One of the things that struck me for sure was this book that you had written on suicide just about two years ago. Because people get into, well, they get into bad things happen to good people. Yeah. And they get into a certain state that they can't quite make their way out of. Yeah. So if you wouldn't mind, give me the Coles Notes version of your book, the work that you did there? Well, the book was fundamentally based upon my own personal experience because I had attempted suicide several times during my youth. Okay. I'd gone How old would you have been? First time was 15, the second time was 18, and the third time was 21. Wow. And so there were different key times. Where, and again, at that point in my life, I thought that the thoughts and feelings I had inside were who I am. Mm -hmm. And these bad feelings that I had must be who I am. And that wasn't actually the case as I began to discover that the feelings were effects of the thoughts I was actually focusing on. Mm-hmm. And the process of changing the thoughts. So the book became uh, an expression of my journey, what I did in my head, what I did in my life to begin to move out of that framework of, of I'm, I have no value in the world. Because a person who wants to commit suicide believes they have no value. And it's not that they don't have value. They just are focused on the belief that they have no value. The minute they begin to shift their focus out of that, and that book is designed specifically to experientially take the reader on the journey that I went on, mm -hmm. where they get to go inside and communicate to that part of themselves that's feeling like crap. Or communicate that part of themselves that's feeling ashamed or guilty for what happened, mm -hmm. or what didn't happen, mm -hmm. or what should happen. And then to build a, a healthy internal rapport and to recreate a whole new thought form structure inside. So you actually create your own mind instead of being living with somebody else's mind. I, I, I honestly believe that most people between 0 and 19 are living with the mind they were given by their environment and not with their own mind. And the minute the person starts to question the thoughts in their mind, they begin to rebuild their own mind. I mean, wait, that thought... That, 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 that thought that I can't do anything right is wrong. Mm -hmm. And the minute they begin to change those fundamental thoughts, they actually start to redesign and rebuild their own mind into an image and likeness that supports what they want. Because you can only do what your mind allows you to. Mm -hmm. Do you give them homework? Because uh, I know you do Skype mostly uh, as a form of coaching. Uh, so what kind of homework might you give somebody that might be in uh, that kind of a state? Well, the simplest and most immediate thing I always do with people is to teach them to focus on what they love and appreciate. 
that always start there. I've always found that that's been the most effective tool because most people, when they're in a place of negativity, pain and suffering, they're so focused on the pain and suffering that they're not experiencing anything else. Mm -hmm. So often I'll say, get a notepad from the dollar store, for example, and walk down the street and keep that dollar pad with you. And every time you see or hear or smell or touch anything that feels good, notice it and write it in. That felt good. This felt good. I like that. I like that. And only right, only things that go in that book are things that are positive. Mm -hmm. And as your mind gets focused in that direction, energetically, emotionally, you actually begin to stimulate those feelings. You start to see what you can be grateful for, what you appreciate in life. And I've often found that when people start to make that shift into appreciating life, growth starts to happen. They actually start to get excited about their life again. They start to appreciate everybody around them. And then they start to also make changes. They start to get rid of things in life that don't support them, like alcohol or drugs. Or they start to get rid of people that are uh, toxic that don't support them. They begin to make changes consciously rather than hoping a change is going to come from somewhere. <laughs> right? Because that's how I did that for years. Mm -hmm. Right up until 21. I was hoping something would come into my life and rescue me and change me. And when, when it didn't happen, I wanted to kill myself. Mm -hmm. But I got to the place where I realized when I read a line in a book uh, called The Psychology of Self-Esteem by Dr. Nathaniel Brandon, one of my favorite authors. We say that again? What's his name? Dr. Nathaniel Brandon. He was considered the father of modern day psychology. And he made a statement in his book that was a quote from uh, Ayn Rand's book, Atlas Shrugged. Say that again, sorry, just a little bit slower, just yeah. in case somebody's following along and wants to read C stuff certainly. we've read. So he took a quote from Ayn Rand's book called Atlas Shrugged, where the quote says, the question for man isn't to be or not to be. The question for man is to think or not to think. Mm -hmm. And when I read that line, I realized, my God, I had never thought my own thoughts. I was thinking my mom's thoughts. I was thinking my dad's thoughts. I was thinking my teacher's thoughts. I'd never chosen my own thoughts. And so at that time, 21, I started actually rebuilding my mind okay. and restructuring it. Okay. Uh, thank you for sharing all that because that's really really important to the work that you're doing and really important for any parent that is listening to, to hear. If you were a parent, you were your own mother or father, how would you have dealt with you during those years that were so challenging? Is there... Have you ever thought about what that reversal might look like or what that environment might have been? I don't, and I don't know. Maybe they were super supportive and knew exactly what to do. But because of the length of the struggle that you had, I'm assuming that there was some challenges there. If you were your own parent, what advice would you give them? Well, if I were my own parent, and I've done this actual activity, actually. You oh, have clients really? will do this, where I actually have them talk to their child self. Oh, okay, yes. And actually communicate to it the things that they really needed to hear as a child. And often that will create a shift as well. Mm -hmm. But in my case, uh, that it was very hard to develop that until later on. Because I, I was in a, in a very abusive environment from age 7 to 13, where I was sexually abused by a step-parent. Mm -hmm. And that's where my sense of diminishment, my sense of non-value came into play, where I didn't think I had the right to assert myself anymore. And, and a lot of people in abusive relationships or abusive situations are very challenging situations, especially if it's very negative and powerful, even if it's a medical condition that's very painful, people can get into the, caught up in the belief that there's nothing they can do. Mm -hmm. And it's the most difficult and painful place to get in. As a child, that's where I got. I got the place, well, I just have to accept this. And that went on for seven years. And uh, when, I, when I made that change, when I, when I made the decision, I would not allow that anymore. I got kicked out of the house at age of 15. Age 15. And um, so between 15 and 21, I was trying to sort through that. But at 21, when I began to rebuild my mind, I actually began to treat myself, my, my inner self, my mental self, that little Billy, that little William mm -hmm. in there. I began to treat him with a love and a respect that he'd never received from his environment. Mm -hmm. So I became my own parent in that sense. Mm -hmm. If you were a parent to you at that time, though, what, 
what could you have done to help you through that period? Would there have been something that could have happened a that could have aided your uh, journey? Absolutely. It would have aided the journey to be removed, remove the child, remove that child from the, from the situation immediately. And uh, reach outside support systems. Mm -hmm. Of course, back then, that was like in, in 1972, 1960s, 70s. Back then, there was still a stigma that the man had control and power over the family, mm -hmm. more so than today. Mm -hmm. So that wasn't really an option for my mother. But for me, is that's what I would have done. I yes. would have removed the children from the environment and found them a safe space. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, yeah, I would have done things very differently mm -hmm. than, than what my mother did. But I, I appreciate everything my mother did because she, had, she did the best she possibly could under the circumstances that we were living in mm -hmm. to provide for us and to give us an opportunity to thrive mm -hmm. right, in her mind. Yeah, so you, you don't have any ill will towards uh, what happened. I guess you've gone through a lot of uh, self-search to uh, neutralize that a little bit. I've actually come to a place, and, and some people might find this unusual, and I've talked to others about it, but for me, I recognize the creative power of children and the creative power we all possess. And so I realized many years later that that on an emotional level, I had actually created and was partly responsible for creating that situation for myself. And a lot of people have a difficult time with that. But children from the age of zero, the minute a child can begin to be cognizant of their feelings, they start to create. They start to create experiences. And in that process, the strength of an emotion determines the outcome of an experience. The strength of an emotion determines yes. the outcome of an experience. So in other words, if I'm really excited about something, woo! My energy is going to go up and things and people around me will respond and react based on that excitement. Because you'll see other people smile around you when you do that. Mm -hmm. But if I go, oh my God, what's happened? This is terrible. People around me will fall into that. Mm -hmm. So the strength of an emotion determines the strength of its outcome and the effect that's mm -hmm. in the world. Mm -hmm. And that was really big for me to recognize that as a, as a five-year-old child with my biological father refused to be um, connecting to me. And that's another story. He uh, put me into a position where I emoted in such a strong mm -hmm. and desirous way that I needed intimacy with my father. But I was very angry that I wasn't getting it. So the net result of that was to produce an experience that was physically intimate, but had a lot of anger and aggression involved in it. And I, I, I might be a stretch for some people to understand that concept. But when you understand that emotion is your energy in motion, it's what you use to manufacture your experience. Because life is what is not what's happening to you. It's what you're, what's happening for you. Mm -hmm. And we do that with our emotion. So in my coaching, I really focus people on how to generate emotions that are supportive and sustaining and empowering. Mm -hmm. right? That's okay. a really powerful thing. Does that, yeah. that answer your question? Yes. Thank you. Yes, this is very powerful. Uh, we're going to take a break here and close this off for this podcast. But we will be back with William. We're going to do another round of this for sure. What a fascinating, wonderful, life really affirming conversation that we're having. And I really appreciate William. Uh, thank you so much again for coming. It's my honor and a privilege to be here. And I, I want to thank everybody for listening as well. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. And thank you very much for listening, everybody. And we will catch you next time. And now a disclaimer. In general, I, Angela Sunis, am not a doctor. And I certainly don't play one on the internet. I'm a parent, period. The advice from me presented on different from the other kids does not replace advice received directly from a medical health professional. If you think you need help, I do recommend making an appointment with your physician or other appropriate health care provider. <laughs>